Kilda Church, great to be with you again today. It is always a privilege to open God's Word. I've got a question for you. If you could flick some magical switch and make anything happen, anything happen in the world, what would it be? Maybe you would flick that switch and just end world hunger, gone in an instant. Maybe you'd flick that switch and uh, a disease, an incurable disease would be cured. Maybe you'd flick that switch and you would have all the money in the world. It's a ridiculous question, I know, but weirdly, it's something that I keep coming back to um, over the past couple of years in my role as a pastor. Because when I look at the world, when I uh, look at our church, I look at people in our church, I look at some of the decisions people make, I look at some of the apathy that, that people have towards their faith, and I look at myself, I look at my own brokenness, I look at my own relationship with God, and if I could flick that switch, I would make people love Jesus. It's one of the, the deepest longings of my heart when I look at the world, when, as I said, when I look at myself and everyone, I'm like, ah, oh, if only people could love Jesus and everything would be okay. You know, love is everything. It's the animating emotion of being a follower of Jesus. You know, Christ himself said that we, his followers, would be defined by our love. He said that love for God is the greatest commandment and then love for others is just like it, the second greatest commandment. And so I think it's no surprise that when we come under attack from the enemy, from Satan, one of his deadliest attacks he will level at Christians is to try to seduce our hearts away from the one we love. It's a story of the Israelites all through the Old Testament. We see it time and again. God says, guys, love me. I am the one who will satisfy you. Just when you go into these other lands, do not bow down to their gods. Do not serve the other gods. Serve only me. And time and again, the Israelites are just idolatrous. They turn away from God. Their hearts are seduced. It's not just their story. It's our story. You know, one of the verses I think that, that captures this so perfectly is what God says through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 2.13. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Picture if you can. I've got a picture. You don't need to. <laughs> Just like a crisp, clear, fresh uh, waterfall pouring over a mountain and just in a deep blue pool. It's a pool that you just want to dive into. If you're a thirsty man, coming to see that would just be heaven. It would be an oasis. That is an all-satisfying source of water. That's what God says. This is what I am. Spiritually, this is what I am for you. If you are spiritually thirsty, this is me. I have everything that you need. Come to me and drink. I am the fountain. I'm everything that you need. But what God is saying through Jeremiah and what we so often do is we pick up a shovel, we march out into this, and we start digging for water. And we start saying, no, I can find it somewhere else. I can get it somewhere else. And we just sink that shovel into dry ground time and time again when God is saying, I'm right here. I'm all you need. And I think one of the deadliest deserts that we sink that shovel into over and over and over again is money. It's money. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about money. By one count, uh, he spoke more about money than he did about heaven and hell. Some say that uh, through his written word in Scripture, 15% of what Jesus said related to money. 
you know, you might not like talking about it. And even now, as, as I say that, if, wherever you're sitting, you might have just stiffened in your chair a little bit. And maybe your heart rate's gone up. And, and it's probably for a couple of reasons. One is you might have been part of a, a church community or, or a movement where uh, they talked about money a lot. It was always about money. And, and maybe it was in a manipulative way where often it was taught that, you know, the more you give, the more you'll get. And maybe you're just sick of it. Maybe you've been burnt by a church talking about money. Maybe you've been part of a church that just hasn't spoken about it enough, and so you've kind of been left to your own devices, and I'm guaranteeing what has likely happened is that you've been discipled by the world into treating your money as your own. I think at the street we have, in the past years, definitely we have missed something by not talking about it enough. And so whatever your reaction is right now, my prayer is at the end of this message and at the end of these three weeks, you'll actually have a much healthier biblical view of money. So please track with us, no matter how you're feeling right now. Our passage today is uh, from Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is a story, is Jesus uh, giving a uh, speech, a sermon to people saying, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what the gospel lived out looks like. So grab your Bibles, Matthew 6, otherwise it's on the screen. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness." No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Lord, would you bless your word today? I love your word, God. May you speak. May it penetrate our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's a lot to say about money. And I think the, it's important to start with saying that money in and of itself isn't inherently evil. Money in and of itself isn't inherently evil. And I think that uh, 1 Timothy 6.10 is a verse that is often misquoted. People will say, you know, money, it's the root of all evil. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And Proverbs has a lot to say about money. Uh, by one count, half the times that the word for wealth in the Hebrew is used in Proverbs, we're told to prize it. 
we're told to prize it. The other half of, time, of the time it's used in Proverbs, we're told not to trust it. It's an incredibly balanced, nuanced, and wise view of money. Prize it, don't trust it. Very balanced. A couple of examples. Proverbs 8.17. Wisdom says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me, with wisdom, are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Proverbs 10.22. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Proverbs isn't a book of promises. It's a book of general principles about how things often go in the kingdom of God. And living a wise life, going with the grain of God's universe, if you are in rhythm with how God wants things to go, then things will likely go well for you. It's not guaranteed. Life is full of ups and downs. But we see Abraham, David, Job, all incredibly wealthy men, and Scripture doesn't decry them for it. There is nothing bad said about them for being wealthy. So if money in and of itself isn't a bad thing, why and how does it all go wrong? And this is what Jesus is getting at in our text today. It goes wrong because money has the power to enslave us. Money has the power to enslave us. And Jesus uses that metaphor of slavery here to explain the exclusivity of what he wants for his disciples, for followers of Jesus. He says you can't serve two masters. You have to pick one. And slavery here isn't talking about employment. When Jesus says you'll be the slave to one and, and not the other, he says he's not, it's not talking about you can work for one and not for the other. In this context, it's saying a slave is the exclusive property of its master. A slave cannot do anything for anyone else except the one who he is enslaved to. It's a striking metaphor that Jesus uses. He's saying you can't have it both ways. If you love Jesus... You can't love money at the same time. He's saying it's me or nothing. Jesus says he will not share the throne of your life with anything else. You can't trust him and have money at the same time. You can't love the kingdom of God and love materialism at the same time. They can't be in the same camp. They just can't coexist with each other. And this is why. If you truly put God first in your life, if you, if, if you bow before the king, if you love him, you love his commands, you delight in his law, you are obedient to what Jesus says, then when money and wealth comes along and says, hey, you know, knock, knock, knock on the door of your life. Hey, throw in your lot with us. Come with us. Let's go like chase me, want me. That's going to be repulsive to you. That is going to be disgusting to you. You will despise it and hate it because your allegiance is to the king. If you love him with anything, when something else comes along to steal your affection away, you're going to hate it. And if it's true that way, the flip side is also true. If you bow the knee to money, if everything about your life is for this life only, possessions, money, status, accumulation, if that is your God, then when Jesus comes knocking and he says, hey, will you follow me? Will you, will you lay down your life? you sell your possessions and give to the poor, you take up your cross and follow me, then you're going to despise him. You're going to reject him. You're going to say, no thanks, because I've got another God. This is the starkness of what Jesus is saying. 
money has the power to enslave us. And it's not because, you know, we, we, we love the thing in and of itself. It's not that you hold a, a 50 or a 100 and you go, man, like this piece of paper is what my joy is in. It's not, it's not the money. It's what the money can do for us. Your money has the power to meet some, some deep needs, or it says it can meet some deep, ne- deep needs. We all have deep needs. Some uh, innocence, belonging, security, significance. And if those aren't met in Jesus Christ, money's going to say, I'll meet those for you. If you, have a, if you have a deep need for significance that's not being met, then money says, hey, I can help you with that. You can get clothes. You can get a nice house. You can get a better car. You can get these gadgets. You can get these things that are going to make you feel significant. If you've got a question mark over a deep need of security, of safety, then money says, hey, I can help. You know what? If you store up enough of me that if you have a big enough bank account, if you stockpile enough, if you invest enough, then when a rainy day comes, you're going to be fine because you'll have me. I'll be your security. Money will enslave us. It lies to us. It says, I am what you need to meet these deep needs. Proverbs 10, 15 says, For the rich, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. Fortified city is a place of security, prosperity, and safety. And for the rich or for those who put their hope in money, put their everything in money, that becomes their security. When Jesus says, when, when what God wants for us is what the psalmist says, he says, keep me safe, O God, for in you, I take refuge. In God alone, I take refuge. Money will enslave you because you'll never have enough. Uh, John D. Rockefeller was the first billionaire in the United States of America, and he was once the richest man on earth. And someone once asked him, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And he calmly replied, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. You'll never have enough, and it will enslave you. It won't just enslave you, it will blind you. In verses 22 and 23 of our text, they, you know, at first reading, they can seem a little bit out of place. You know, we're talking about money, and here Jesus is talking about the eye. What's he saying? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What's he saying here? Jesus is saying that, you know, our our eyes take in light. They, they allow us to navigate space and see things. He says, if your eye's not working properly, you could be standing out in the middle of, of day at noon. The sun could be shining, but if your eyes aren't working properly, you're not going to be able to see where you can go. And, and your whole body might as well be in darkness if your eyes aren't working because you're not going to be able to navigate life. Jesus is saying, if you don't see money for what it is, or, or if your eyes are greedy, another word for, for healthy is, is, um, is generous, and another word for uh, unhealthy is stingy. If your eyes aren't generous, if you aren't generous, if your eyes are stingy, then you might as well be in darkness because you are blinded by your love for money. And this is the thing. Money is so deceitful. It can blind us so much that we are blind to our own blindness. And that's not a riddle. You know, and I think it's because of this. How many of you, when I started talking and then you knew it was about money, kind of sat back in your chair a little bit and you thought, oh, this won't apply to me. I'm good. I'm not greedy. I don't have a problem with money. I did. I was, I was writing the sermon. <laughs> Moment of confession here. I'm going to be real. 
writing the sermon and I'm going through it and like I'm almost done. And there was this, this thing in me that said, oh, no, I guess this one doesn't apply to me. <laughs> I think I'm good here. Like I, I give enough, I think I give enough money away. I don't think I'm that materialistic. And, and before I was done with the sermon, God had convicted me of my greed and of my problem with money because I didn't think that this applies to me. This absolutely applies to me. And we don't think it because we can all point to someone or see someone who's just a little bit more lavish than we are, who has a few nicer things than we do, and we think, well, I'm not like that, so I'm good. Every single one of us is looking at someone else going, well, I don't do that. I don't buy those clothes. I don't have that car. I don't live in that suburb. So I must be doing okay. While at the same time, someone is looking at you going, well, I don't do what they do. It blinds us to our own greed. It blinds us. And so we don't ask ourselves the hard questions. Money puts us in darkness so that we don't ask, man, do I really need that? We don't take the time to pause and go, do I really need to buy more clothes? Do I really need to buy these clothes? Do I really need to upgrade my car? Do I really need to upgrade my house? Do I really need all this stuff? We don't want to go there. We don't want to think about it because we think we're doing okay. We're blind, which is why Jesus issues this warning in Luke 12, 15. He says, watch out. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. I can't remember the last time I was on guard against greed. It's a, it's a deceptive sin. It is a deceitful sin. If you steal something, you know you've stolen something. It was there and now it's not there. If you lust after somebody, you know you've lusted because you have looked at something and you have felt that in your heart. It is so hard to be on guard against greed. I, I don't know the last time I paused and went, whoa, 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 am I on guard against this? Am I checking myself here? Am I checking if I'm a greedy person? When's the last time you checked yourself on greed? Greed in our hearts isn't obvious. It hides, it lurks, it convinces us that it isn't even there. It blinds us and it will also fill us with worry. If your life is mastered by money, you'll begin to live with an earthly mindset. This is why Jesus says, don't be like the pagans who think, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? A life of worry is a life of distrust in God. If you are a warrior, if you are turning things over and over in your mind, if you are worrying about today, tomorrow, what's going to happen, I'm sorry, you don't trust God. You need more trust in God to overcome your worry. Jesus says worry is useless. Worry is fruitless because it doesn't accomplish anything. He said, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? The translation really says, who of you can add another centimeter to your height? I can't worry myself any higher. It'd be nice, but I can't. You can't do it. And Jesus says, I don't want this for you. 
He says, I don't want you to have a life of worry. He says in John 10, 10, I want to give you an abundant life, a life free, a life with every spiritual blessing you can have. I don't have worry for you. Worry is not part of God's will for you. And so what reasons does Jesus give for having a worry-free life? He points to creation. He says, look at the birds. Look at the birds. You don't see them putting grain in the ground and watching wheat grow and then reaping it and putting it away in their shed. No. And yet God still feeds them. He says, look at the flowers. You don't see flowers sitting in the sewing machine, making clothes, sweating and and trying to make a, a beautiful covering for themselves. He says, no, but he says, I tell you that not even the most resplendent king looks as beautiful as the flowers of the field. God says, if I do this, if I do this for a sparrow, if I, if I clothe the flowers of the field that, that are beautiful one day and the next day they're cut down and they're used as fuel on the fire, he said, how much more will I clothe you? How much more will I feed you and who are we? We're ones who are made in his image, made in his likeness. We are the ones who he gave dominion over all creation. We are the ones who were purchased with Jesus' blood. We are the ones who through his Holy Spirit were adopted into his family. How much more will he do for you, given who we are? And, and, and he's, not saying be like, he's not saying be like the birds. He's saying observe the birds. He's not saying, well, just sit back and open your mouth and I'll fill it. No. 2 Thessalonians says, if a man does not work, he shall not eat. What God is saying is, as you go about your daily life, as you go about your work, go about it without worrying. Go about it without painful toil, just burdening yourself to make more money. He says, do your work, enjoy your work, and allow God to meet your needs. What he's insisting here is that we do not feed or clothe ourselves any more than the birds and the flowers do. We may think we do, but it's God who provides for all our needs. Money wants to enslave you. It wants to blind you, and it wants to fill your life with worry. How do we break this? How do we break this power of money? Jesus tells us at the beginning, at the end of this passage, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. He says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Or more accurately, he says, treasure your treasure in heaven. Treasure is the thing you hold most dear the thing that is most precious to you, the thing that you would do anything for. And so what is the antidote? Treasure Jesus. Money wants to enslave you and blind you and fill you with worries, so treasure Jesus instead. Look to Jesus. See yourself as rich in Jesus. You have every spiritual blessing you need in him. Through him, we've been adopted into God's family. Look at Jesus. He was the one who had everything, was stripped of everything, became nothing so we could have everything. Laid down his life so you could live, became poor so you could be rich. He was cast down so we could be lifted up. You know, whatever you treasure will insist that you give your life for it that you give everything for it. And I love, I just love how Timothy Keller phrases this. He says, every treasure but Jesus will insist that you die to purchase it. But Jesus himself is the one treasure who died to purchase us. Isn't it amazing 
that Jesus looked at us as a treasure and he insisted on giving everything for you. He said, a treasure says, it'll give everything for me and it'll be worth it. Jesus says, I see you and I'm going to give everything for you and it is going to be worth it. It is going to be worth it. There is nothing he didn't hold back from you. He wasn't stingy. He was the most generous. And Jesus did it so, yes, that he would be our master, but he did it so that we'd be God's children. He didn't do it to blind us, but to open our eyes to heavenly reality, to see things as it really is. And he did it to free us from worry and to fill our hearts and our minds with his peace. We are already rich in Jesus Christ. We have everything we need if we have Jesus. And so that means we are free to live radically generous lives, open-handed for the glory of God. Money loses its mastery. Materialism has no grip on us because it isn't our treasure. Because it isn't our treasure. Our treasure is in heaven. Jesus is our treasure. And when we look to him, we see what he did for us, how much he gave for us, what we have in him. We can look at our lives and go, well, I don't need that. I don't, I, don't, I don't need a closet full of all these clothes. I don't need a bank account full of all this money. I can give it away. I don't need all this stuff. I don't need all these possessions because my identity isn't found there, because it's not my security, because it's not my significance, because he has given me everything. Do you see how where your treasure is, there your heart will be also? So what does this look like for us practically? How do you... How do you affect this change in your life? I think the most simple way is just to start. Try being radically generous. Be radically generous towards the things that advance the kingdom of God. For some of you, it's going to mean you're going to start giving money to the church. For some of you, it means you're going to start giving more. We're going to hear a couple of weeks from Simon about what a tithe actually means. Some of you have been giving out of your abundance and you don't even really feel it. And so you tithe, yeah, or you give a little bit, but you don't actually feel it. It's not actually being radically generous because money still has a hold on you. And I, was, I just had a sense as I was preparing that even now some people are going to say, well, well, well Jerem, I'm actually a really good steward of my money. I'm actually a really good steward, so I'm, I'm very careful with where it goes. Are you a good steward or are you just not being generous? The goal is generosity. Jesus talked about selling possessions, giving to the poor. It is an abundant giving. It is an, Tim Keller says, an eye-popping generosity. I wonder if you're using stewardship as a defense because money has a much stronger hold on you than you think. Start by giving it away. Francis Chan talks about profaning money. I love this. He says that for he and his wife, there was a time where they would just put cash in envelopes that go around their neighborhood. They'd just slip it under doors just for no other reason than to show money. You don't have a hold on me. I don't really mind who this money is going to because I need to train my heart that it doesn't have a hold on me. This is a part of discipling ourselves. By being people who give radically, generously, it is discipling our hearts to be generous, but it's also discipling our hearts to say, you don't need this. Look what you can live without. 
You don't need all these clothes. You don't need all these possessions. You don't need all this money. Look, he's everything for you. Start by just giving more away into things that advance the kingdom. And always remember, it's not going to make you more holy. It's not going to make you more pleasing to God, but it is going to disciple you to become more like Jesus. And we always remember him, Jesus, who gave up everything for us. The one who was stripped naked on the cross, lost everything so you could have everything. You are already more loved than you will ever know. Jesus Christ saw you to the depths and he loved you to the skies. What more could you ask for? Let me pray. Oh God, we worship you. There is no one like you. There is no one comparable to you in your generosity. Jesus, we worship you that though you were equal with God, you made yourself nothing. You left the riches of heaven to come and you lived a life as a poor man to give us riches in you. Oh Lord, would you work in my heart, work in our hearts, that we might see we have everything we need already. And may we be open-handed, Lord, generous, that would make the world sit up and take notice and say, wow, look at those people. They must really love God. And we do. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.